Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. A new VanCast to wrap up the first week of National Hockey League Free Agency. It was this time last week as we record, Drancer, that uh, the free agent window was just getting pushed open. At that point, there were still four guys that all wanted to be Vancouver Canucks. And as we know, uh, they don't play for the Canucks anymore. Braden Holtby is here. The Canucks made the Nate Schmidt deal. That is essentially their first week of free agency. And uh, I would imagine it's a pretty good reaction for both you and Rick Dollywall, uh, the piece that you guys posted uh, Thursday, sort of taking mm-hmm. everybody behind the scenes of those first few hours, first few days of free agency. Yeah, and it was a hectic sort of stretch there, I think, for the Canucks and for their fans, right? Like, for Canucks fans, it was an emotional roller coaster, unlike many that I've experienced, I feel like, while tracking this market closely. Obviously, the ups and the downs. And, you know, I think at the end of day one, having lost Markstrom and Tanev, I think Canucks fans mostly understood. And correct me if you disagree with this, but the sentiment that I seem to see was, you know, those deals were too rich for the Canucks' blood um, was sort of the prevailing sentiment. And then on Saturday, the Stetcher deal began to switch the narrative and then on Sunday nothing happens and then on Monday to Foley 
And, you know, we now know that as of Friday night, the Canucks began to feel pretty confident that they had Schmidt coming. And by Saturday, it really felt like a, a, a bird in hand kind of situation. Um, that the Canucks hadn't struck out on Barry so much as they were maintaining cap space for Schmidt, and that's why they asked Troy Stetcher to wait a bit. Um, when Putting that together, I felt, was important and was something I really wanted to do because I was struggling to understand what the hell had just happened. And as I sort of dug into it, I found it even harder to understand certain parts of it, especially parts of the Schmidt deal um, and why he wasn't sort of more widely offered around the league, it, it does sort of seem like Vegas had exploratory conversations with some teams about moving cap space generally, in which Schmidt's name came up and those teams asked for more assets, like good prospects, you know, high picks. Uh, that was sort of a non-starter ultimately for Vegas. They finally found Vancouver, who was just happy to value the player. Uh, but there were other teams that valued the player that they talked to Vegas and had sort of had vague conversations like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'd do a late mid-round pick for, for him and, and a future mid-round pick for him. And and Vegas just never circled back. Like, that, that I find to be a little bit mysterious unless they, you know, once they had their bird in hand, they didn't want to complicate things considering how multi-front their operation was in terms of, you know, recruiting Petro and on and on. But, you know, just a confusing weekend, and I'm glad, I hope that we sort of, we're able to lift the veil off a bit and sort of explain some of how it went down because the optics, like the optics were such that, you know, and, and the story I'd heard from a Canucks source was like when, when Jim Benning left the office on Thanksgiving Monday, like everyone was joking about, you know, how he needed like a helmet or like a bulletproof <laughs> vest for the walk home, right? Like, should we have security take you home, Jim? Like, because they knew the Schmidt deal was coming down the pike, but they also knew how mad the market was at the moment. And it had become like a source of mirth for like, how do we get Jim home, guys? Um, like, that's sort of where they knew they, they knew the market was at that point internally. I think you and I have a se sense for that kind of thing. And certainly prior to the Schmidt deal, um, you know, I think what, what like even Elliot Friedman said Vancouver was going to burn down like Gary Mason started tweeting like, you know, when Gary Mason starts tweeting that things are real. Um, so truly, it was a very odd weekend. And, and I did want to sort of begin, to, you know, put the pieces together for people in a cogent narrative that tried to make sense of it all. And the lead, of course, was that Jim Benning reached out to Chris Tanev and only got his voicemail. Do we know a thousand percent that he got the voicemail, that he didn't just hang up after, like, four rings? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I know that he called him and it didn't answer. I guess the voicemail was a little bit of poetic license, but only at the <laughs> edges. Like, I know that there was a call made, Tanev didn't, didn't answer, uh, screened it, and uh, the, the Canucks' next contact with their camp was uh, from the Tanev camp specifically, informing them that they'd signed in Calgary. So... Um, you know, look, uh, just, a, just a detail. I mean, it's not like they hadn't been in touch with Tanev's camp throughout that Friday, even though it had been, you know, relatively quiet in negotiations in the lead up to the Ekman Larson deal falling apart. And so it goes, you know, like, so, so it goes, those are tough, uh, negotiations to have. And, and I do think that, you know, where the Markstrom camp leaves negotiations thinking that, Everything was done by both sides to keep him in Vancouver. The offers just ultimately were, you know, not close. Um, I don't know that the 
Tanev or Stetcher camps. Oh, I do know. The Tanev and Stetcher camps don't, I think, leave negotiations thinking that, you know, everything had been done to keep them in Vancouver by both sides. And I do think there were some raw emotions there. And and I do know, I do think that that probably contributed to, you know, Stetcher not waiting any additional time on the Canucks to sort through whatever was going on with Schmidt. And also probably, um, you know, Tanev ultimately not sort of checking in with the Canucks' timeline either in terms of signing in Calgary that night and obviously, you know, not sort of answering when the general manager called. Just want to circle back because, look, I mean, I think it's fair to have some criticism of the Canucks front office in the moment as these players are all peeling away and people are wondering what's Mm -hmm. going on. But, man, that must be a wild dynamic to be on the inside knowing what you've got up your sleeve and just have to sit there and basically take this beating in the court of public opinion for 48 hours. Like, I know. <laughs> like there are some yeah. people that will say, like, no, no sympathy for these guys. But, like, you have to have a little bit. Like, because there are a lot of people that thought, like, no plan whatsoever, right? Like, that they're just watching their guys walk out the door and they're flying by the seat of their pants. And, and you guys clearly lay it out now that as far back as, you know, Friday, the dominoes were starting to fall by Saturday. They felt pretty confident that, you know, this is the way it was going to go. And then Monday afternoon, Thanksgiving, Monday afternoon, and we touched on it in the last pod, but you know, just a couple of days to reflect on it. Like I can't remember this market being that vicious about something in a long, long while. Like the temperature was through the roof hot uh, about yes. the Canoxian activity. And then, of course, by dinner hour, uh, we kind of got a sense of what they were doing. So, man, they took <laughs> yeah. a beating. And I, I guess, that just, I mean, in some ways it comes <laughs> with the territory. It's been a crazy week. And, and I guess, like, when you look at Montreal and the whole Brennan Gallagher situation, and that ties to the Canucks, too, because for 40, or for, what, 24 hours, uh, people had Brennan Gallagher penciled in all over the Canucks lineup. And, um, you know, it just it shows how quickly things can change. But... You know, asking a fan base with a voice on social media to be patient, um, that's a big ask. Yeah, especially in this day and age. But, you know, it was one of those, like, three-dimensional deals where it was tied to Petro's fate. And so the Canucks weren't operating on their own timeline, and that was the price, I guess. Like, that waiting is part of the price of, you know, getting a really good player for a third-round pick in a future draft, right? Like, that's kind of what... (laughs) <laughs> the Canucks decided to do and, and it's clear now too that you know chasing that really big top four upgrade was their foremost priority but I, I still think when you look at the overall body of work and when you look at who's come in who's left like I still don't I, I mean it's it's a really tough one because I do think Schmidt in two years time you know he'll be 31 but he could still he's still likely to be like a pretty significant contributor and a pretty good NHL player, like probably a top-of-the-lineup defender still, especially considering the profile of, of guys who play like him and, and how they tend to age. And it's, it's you know, better typically than a more defensive, like a defense-only defenseman. Uh, but when you think about this roster now and, and where they're at, I, I still don't think you can say that the Canucks got better, even if you like the value of both the Holtby deal and the Schmidt deal. And even if you look at the Markstrom and Tanev deals and think, boy, those are risky, risky pills to swallow, which I think they are, like, I still think the Canucks are thinner on the back end, not as good up front, and worse in goal. Um, Even if Schmidt is the type of piece that 
over the long term, we might remember as being like a really key addition for this core group. Yeah, I think it's important to to point out that like Nate Schmidt just turned 29. Like he's a young 29. The Canucks are getting his 29-year-old season. Yes. And and then like where Tanev is going to turn 31 in December, uh, Nate Schmidt's I think almost 20 months younger than Chris Tanev. So when people say the contract may not age well, you know, five years left, really it's the age 29, 30, 31, 32, and 33 would be his you know, he'll be 33 throughout the final year of that contract. So, uh, you know, yeah. he should still be able to provide uh, service and value, you'd like to think, uh, through age 33. Also, the profile of, like, a puck mover type defenseman, like, we've, we see puck moving defensemen be effective for a lot longer, typically, than we see, like, defender defense-only defensemen remain effective. Like, that's a really hard job to do in a, in a league where speed is at such a premium into your 30s. It's not, you know, the old days where Darian Hatcher could play forever, right? Like, you have to be able to keep up with guys and not get burned wide and be the first back to dumped in pucks and on and on. Like, we haven't seen a lot of guys, even even really good defensive pieces, guys like Carl Alsner, right? Like, Carl Alsner in his late 20s was a really good defensive piece and now is not <laughs> an NHL-caliber defender, right? Like, it's, it's wild how quickly and cruelly it shifts on guys, and so you know, we, we, Nate Schmidt has a profile that, regardless of the fact that he's, I, I think that's a really good point. Like I didn't even realize that he was that young at twenty nine, but he, regardless of the fact that he's that much younger than Tanev, uh, that his game is also likely to age in, in a much like, uh, in a way you're much more comfortable with as you go through the early parts of his thirties. When we recorded earlier in the week, the it was Tuesday morning, the trade had been made, we broke it down, we knew that we were going to get to hear from Nate Schmidt for the first time as a Canuck, and man, did we ever. Uh, they'll be writing volumes about that Zoom introductory uh, media availability for, for years to come, and it was. I, he was everything that it was everybody... Un- it was unreal. Yeah, like, I mean, I think <laughs> those of us that cover the game... You know, we had a sense, uh, whether it was firsthand dealing with him or talking to people that had dealt with him. You know, just one of the great characters in the game. And he was on in his Zoom. And unfortunately, one of the problems with Zoom is there is no back and forth, right? They open your mic, you get your question, and the guy answers, whoever the guy is, Nate Schmidt. And, I mean, you went down the road of a guy that sat there and watched him in the bubble and heard him repeatedly and you asked about the you know, the whoop right the him calling yeah. for loose pucks <laughs> you made the sound effect and he lost it but <laughs> they, he really did lose it it was funny. but they i know but they cut your mic off because he couldn't believe that you had picked up on this and he wanted to know how like you didn't get a chance <laughs> to really explain that you had been in the bubble and right. watched him for you know the better part of six weeks or whatever it was so it was unfortunate that you couldn't have that back and forth on zoom but you got the question to him and he laughed and then he gave i thought he gave a, like everything else great, he answer. great explanation yeah. <laughs> yeah like the fact that it's justin like there's a history to it. There's a reasoning to it. Like, he wants guys to know that it's him. Like, ah, oh, that was tremendous. Awesome. And and great context for me, right? Like, having that explained to me when I'd wondered about it for literally weeks in the bubble. Like, I was like, this... Because the way that you hear the game, like, first of all, when I started to hear it, I was like, what the hell am I hearing, right? 
And then I started to watch for like what was going on. Like what is the source of the whoop? And then it became pretty apparent that it was this one guy who's like constantly attacking, who's always asking for the puck by sounding like a human fire alarm, like woo. And um, and so you know, I was glad to, and I was, I'm glad I set it up on the vancast too. Like I'm glad that I called my shot on the vancast. Yeah, very much so. Before before we did it, and then like that reaction. I mean, I was honestly very charmed by the reaction. Like I'm just glad that he found it so funny. Um, you know, that his reaction was like, I'd, I'd like hit a nerve, like identified something that was true. And then, you know, as he laughs about it and just, yes, that is me. I thought that was great. I, I, I really appreciated the honest answer, but I also appreciated the reaction. That was a lot of fun. And, and look, you know, the most impressive part of that zoom avail to me though, was, you know, in the moment, 24, less than 24 hours after he got traded, and one of the Vegas writers who jumped on the call asks about George McPhee, right? Yes. And it's clear that Schmidt has a lot of, you know, hurt and is upset and is dealing and working through a variety of emotions on this front. And his answer was so honest, but so, like, as a PR guy, like, coming from a PR perspective, it was, like, honest but also safe in just this really smart way where he was like, right now the emotions of it are too raw for me to really, you know, to, to really reflect on that. Like, it's still too soon. And I just think that's a perfect way to sidestep and avoid saying something you regret while also presenting to the public in an honest way just the depth of how you're feeling about it. Like, it was honestly as smart and savvy a way to stick handle a really tricky situation as anything I've seen. And, there, like, there was a, a PR guy moment with me where I was just like, damn, like, that's well done, sir. Uh, doff of my cap to you. Um, that was what probably impressed me most was how he dealt with some of those difficult questions. Not, not just how he charmed the pants off of us suckers in the Vancouver media pool. Well, I mean, it was funny, like right from the outset when the moderator said, if you have questions, you know, use the raise hand feature. And he, you know, raises his hand and uh, what he called Brock Besser a good egg, uh, busts out a review of the Vancouver <laughs> Christmas market mid-sentence. Uh, you know, it was funny. It was folksy. It was uh, emotional, as you mentioned. And look, there's a, for the people who don't know, I mean, there's a long history there with George McPhee. George McPhee brought Nate Schmidt yes. into the National Hockey League in Washington didn't get the chance maybe that he got in Vegas with the Capitals, but George McPhee brought him to Vegas in the expansion draft and sort of turned him loose, signed him to the contract. And so, you know, it's multi, multi-layered, uh, yes. the, the relationship between George McPhee and, and Nate Schmidt. Yeah. Well, and just the one other answer that I loved was when you said about Pedersen spinning him into a top, right? Yeah. And that was what I picked up in real time. And then transcribing it later and realizing that he'd called Pedersen Mr. Pedersen. He said, Mr. Pedersen spun me into a top. And then and then I realized after the fact and passed it to Brocker back door. And he's specifically talking about the holy fuck goal. Right. Like he's talking about the holy fuck goal from Pedersen's rookie year. And I didn't really realize that he was, he had like one searing memory watching himself on tape that, you know, didn't look good. Um, I, I hadn't sort of appreciated that he was talking about a specific goal in the moment. I thought he was just talking about the general threat posed by those guys. But as you sort of sort of break it down and, and listen to the full quote, like he actually is talking about a specific goal, a goal that has its own nickname in Canucks lore, the holy fuck goal. And 
um, you know, breaking it down from a defender's perspective. Like, that's hilarious. Like, that's such a fun appendum to a play that we've already dissected at length over the course of, you know, Pedersen's first two years in the NHL. Like, that's awesome. It's great. Just as good an availability as you'll see in the fact that he was able to pull it off remotely. Um, just really impressive. And, and you know, sorely needed, especially with the likes of Stetcher and Tanev, like two go-to guys for me in the room, uh, departing. Having Schmidt there, um, you know, having Schmidt as like a, a guy who's going to have some personality and, and you know, be checked in, I think, pretty frequently by the Vancouver pool now. Um, you know, that's uh, that's something we probably all needed and, and, you know, are thanking management for probably <laughs> on some level. Nate Schmidt is in Vancouver because Alex Petrangelo is in Vegas. Uh, Petrangelo, though, says goodbye to St. Louis and Blues fans on an all-new We Went Blues with Jeremy Rutherford this week at The Athletic. So if you want to hear Alex Petrangelo reflect on his time in St. Louis and then uh, about the, the move wow. to being yeah to, to being wooed as the big fish in free agency, uh, Petro on with Jeremy Rutherford, We Went Blues this week at The Athletic. Uh, we'll talk about what's left in the free agent pool because it's gone from a free agent frenzy to a free agent flea market, but there is still value to be found there. Uh, we'll do that in a Got to take a quick break. We'll be back with more of the VanCast right after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Drancer, so let's take a look now a week into National Hockey League free agency. There are still names on the board. Mike Hoffman, probably the biggest one now. Uh, But there are others, and it seems to me that maybe there is some value to be found uh, and I, I have to imagine that, uh, look, we know that a lot of teams are in the same boat as the Canucks, not enough money uh, to spend on what they'd like to spend, but maybe this is where your pro scouts, maybe this is where your analytics guys uh, make their money by unearthing a gem or two or somebody that you're willing to take a flyer on. But when you step back now a week into free agency and look at the board, uh, what do you see and do you think the Canucks are done, or do they have wriggle room here to add a piece or two on a, a league minimum deal? I, I mean, they can go probably with a late league minimum deal, but you know, just to sort of hold competition at training camp. But I think I think another shoe has to drop, especially in the event that they don't have clarity, and I don't believe they do, for Michael Furland hitting LTI when the season begins. Now you know, on the one hand, you hope, you hope that Michael Furland is able to get right over the course of the offseason and come back and, and, and play in the NHL if that's what he and his family desires. Um, just because that, you know, you, you obviously hope for everybody to be healthy in life. Um, the fact of the matter is, though, is that I think the Canucks' books are going to be, are going to require, like, there's another shoe that has to drop in terms of them finding a way to move out you know, a salary, whether it's, you know, Jordy Ben's $2 million in, in cap hit or whether it's something else. Um, like, I do think they're going to need to clear some space still. And I think if they clear some space, then you can begin to look at, um, you know, either they clear space or, or they know that Furlan's going on LTI. But without that, I don't even think you can add, like, an, a $1 million defender and a, um, you know, $1 million sort of depth forward bet. 
without sort of those without another shoe dropping frankly like i think another shoe has to drop here and so we'll sort of see what what comes next there's a lot of teams like what's interesting to me about this market is while the senators have now functionally put themselves above the salary cap floor with the evgeny dadanov signing or dadonov um <laughs> signing no don't do that <laughs> clear clear look you of all people know like set the people straight what is the name He's, he he, it is Dodonov, but he doesn't like the idea that North Americans are just going to butcher it. So he's happy nah. with Dadanov. Okay. So it, but it is. So it's it's both. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> I'll set the people straight. It is both. It is accurately Dodonov, but he's he wanted Dadanov um, just because he thought that would be easier for North Americans, and he didn't want to hear people butcher Dodonov. So anyway, um, the <laughs> the uh, the. The fact is, is that there's all the cap, all the cap clearing trades haven't really happened. Like Nate Schmidt happened, but Vegas still probably has another shoe that needs to drop. Tampa Bay, we all know what's going on with Tampa Bay. There's a lot of shoes to drop. Like there's a whole shoe closet full of shoes left to drop in Tampa Bay. And same in Arizona. Like Arizona's books are brutal. That team's over the, over the cap by a lot and not even with a full roster. Uh, So there's still a lot that has to happen here for teams around the league. And we are still going to see, you know, a a trade market for cap space effectively congeal at some point. And maybe it's at some point, like right before training camp. But I mean, it's going to be like a long staring contest this winter as teams navigate this, but we haven't really seen enough of those deals to make sense of this flat cap era that we've entered. And so, you know, anyway, the Canucks have, will probably be part of that, I'd think, because they probably need to move even just like a $2 million salary. Like if you can move Sven Berchi, if you can move Jordy Ben, um, if you can move part of Brandon Sutter or what have you, I mean, that would make a huge difference and allow the Canucks to really do some shopping. I like Slater Cuckoo, by the way. Slater Cuckoo is, I think, a really good depth defenseman, played in a pretty unstructured kind of system in Chicago, still had good results on the third pair can play either side competently like that to me is a guy you know huge pedigree coming into the league hasn't really lived up to that uh billing but like that's the profile of like a classic depth player that maybe can give you a little bit more um you know the, the there's no depth player i like as much jpat as the failed first round pick like that's like jason dickinson in the playoffs for the dallas stars becoming like a rangy checking center right like that's give me that that's what i want i want i want depth players who are effectively first round picks that didn't deliver on their offensive promise blake como andrew cogliano all the best depth players benoit pouliot before he got paid uh, Brett Connolly, like all the best depth players are, are first round picks, ideally top 15 picks that didn't deliver on their offensive promise in the at the NHL level. I think Slater Cuckoo fits that mold to a T. Um, he'd be a great ad in my view as a, as a third pairing guy and a guy who could play either side, which would really allow you to hold an open audition with all of your young defensemen across the board uh, to try and earn sort of a, a real everyday NHL role, something that Canucks management insists is going to occur at training camp this winter. And then up front, I mean, Josh Levo, I think is the obvious one. Like Josh Levo, um, I still think he's a few days out from being cleared, but not too far at this point. Uh, I wonder if once he's cleared, you know, once the team has a chance to really do a medical eval uh, on a player who's been cleared for action, if if that might sort of fall. Um, 
I think Levo was a pretty unique fit for this team, just in terms of what he brought as a two-way player, as a player who could play anywhere on the lineup. If his knee is fully healed, if he's ready to go, I think he'd be a really smart add for for the team, familiar with the system, plays the type of, you know, puck-winning, aggressive forechecking game that Travis Green, you know, system requires. And, uh, you know, obviously a, a player who had decent chemistry with Jake Furtanen and Brandon Sutter and Bo Horvat and not with Pedersen, but nonetheless, um, there are options and places that you can play him. You can play left or right. Um, there's a lot of reasons to like that fit if you believe with any degree of confidence that he's healthy enough to contribute. It does sort of feel like there must be a medical clearance issue here that's, you know, a week into free agency, like I kind of thought he would have just been a you know a pretty easy one-year show-me kind of deal unless there was interest elsewhere that he could get some term, but I don't know. Like I just, I'm, I'm a little surprised that he is still on the market, and, and perhaps that is just that he hasn't got that full, full medical clearance yet. And I do wonder, too, you know, and it would sort of be human nature if he felt like, even if there was interest around the league, when you think of the time and effort and devotion that the Canucks medical staff has put into him since that injury last December, that... You know, like I can understand sort of that psychological level if he thinks he owes, and he doesn't. He's an unrestricted free agent. It's yeah. business. We see that uh, around the league. But I could understand it if he felt that way. Like, I sort of owe it to these guys. They have patched me back up here. They've got my career back on track. I'm going to go back and take that one-year deal and sort of show. And, and you know, he'll be an unrestricted free agent a year from now as well. But it just it, it feels like a fit on a lot of levels just to make it happen back here in Vancouver. Yeah, well, and this is a guy who spent years, like an unprecedented amount of years, um, watching games from the press box, right? Like, this guy went through the Frank Corrado treatment at, yes. at Babcock's hands in Toronto, too. And all of a sudden, you come to Vancouver and your name's on the whiteboard every night, and including, like, you know, he'd carved himself out like a top six role before that injury, right? Like, he was power play two, top six, second unit penalty kill, right? Like, he was playing major role for for Travis Green and the Vancouver Canucks. I think that type of security, like knowing that your name's going to be on the whiteboard when you walk in every morning, like that means an awful lot for a player in a position like Levo, who's gone through what Levo's gone through in his NHL career to this point and is looking at a one-year deal to try and rebuild some of the value that he was probably on. I mean, Levo is probably on his way to having like a 17-goal, 40-point season as an effective two-way player. Um, you know, you score two, three big playoff goals after that type of season and go in unrestricted free agency, like you're a commodity. And we know what happened, the injury, the knee fracture. Um, he's obviously, it's obviously taken him almost 10 months to be cleared. And so, you know, finding a, a spot, a landing spot with some security, I think could matter. And then, you know, Rick and I also dropped the name Jace Howerluck, uh, which I think is a consideration for the Canucks and Jason, another guy I know pretty well. Um, he is, you know, like there might still be some middle six upside there, but really I think you'd be looking at, at him as like a pest type fourth liner, a guy who plays hard every night and annoys the hell out of his opponents and, and sometimes his teammates and just sort of brings that kind of edge um, he could be an option too, and and I, I sort of th I sort of can see it in my mind's eye how that might work. I think the Vancouver market, based on its embrace the hate sort of past, would respond to a player like that if he were to land here. 
Well, we'll see what uh, the days and weeks ahead bring. Uh, free agency slowing down, but again, uh, when you look at uh, the list of guys that are out there, uh, there are still lots of players looking for for homes, and I have to think that guys are going to latch on to one-year deals here pretty quickly, realizing that the security of a one-year deal beats the hell out of a PTO, and you know, like I just there isn't enough money to go around for everybody. And so uh, I think some of those guys, uh, again, are going to have to bet on themselves on one-year deals. And and that's where I do wonder. I mean, we heard so much about Vancouver being this attractive destination for free agents. And really all the Canucks have done is land uh, a 1A goaltender as a free agent. Obviously, Nate Schmidt was brought in on trade. But, you know, they haven't been able to maneuver on that front as far as this is a place that people want to come, this is a team that people want to be a part of, we haven't seen that take hold. And I do wonder if there's any way that uh, some of these guys that we just mentioned, you know, on cheap deals may see this. Look, if you're going to play in the league, why not play for an up-and-coming team that has, you know, these pieces that are exciting, they play the way that uh, guys uh, probably would want to play the game. So we'll see if that holds any sway with anybody uh, as uh, time marches on here in the free agent market. Yeah, and you know the other, the other, the biggest name forward out there now is Mike Hoffman, a guy whose game I'm also really familiar with, and I do think the Canucks have checked in there, but they'd obviously have to clear space. And I mean, at this point in the off season, like I'm not counting on the Canucks to clear <laughs> the sort of space that would allow them to make a credible pursuit of a player like Hoffman. But also, you know, and this is this holds true for Barry too, and and is something I think colored the organization's view of that as this past season went along we know they pursued him hard at the 2019 draft I don't believe that they pursued him particularly hard at the 2020 NHL trade deadline and I don't believe they pursued him particularly hard in free agency although there were definitely conversations and I think part of the understanding on Barry is in our situation now with the emergence of Quinn Hughes with the fact that he has the keys to drive PP1. Like, Barry's not an optimal fit for our club anymore. Like, Barry kind of needs to be your signature offensive defenseman, PP1 time, if you're going to maximize what he brings. And I think Barry's landed in just, like, the perfect situation in Edmonton. I think his shot will play big time with those two dynamic lefty forwards on the power play in Dreisaitl and McDavid. And I, I kind of think the same of Hoffman. Like, Hoffman's value is tied up, for me, to a large extent in the fact that he has 28 power play goals over the past two years, which is a ridiculous number, and most of them are scored off one-timers from the spot that Elias Pettersson occupies. Now, Pettersson has, I think it's 18 power play goals over the same span of time. So you think about how dangerous Pettersson's been on the power play and then think that Hoffman's actually scored 33% more uh, <laughs> while occupying... Like, he's a ridiculous shooter, but... Of course, Pedersen does it with just insane accuracy, right? Like, Pedersen's percentage finishing rate is higher by a lot, like a different world than Hoffman's. Hoffman's more of a volume guy, like an Ovechkin mold, whereas Pedersen would be more of a Stamkos mold. And the overall sort of thing you think is, can a team like the Canucks maximize what they get out of Hoffman when they probably already have the world's most accurate shooter from the spot that Hoffman feasts at? Um, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I think Hoffman would still be a, a tremendous... Like, if you could find a way to play Hoffman with, um, you know, Adam Gaudet on a third line, like, that would be outrageous. <laughs> but I, I just don't think the money's going to work for the Canucks to be a credible bidder on that front. Uh, but I do hope Hoffman gets a shot because Hoffman is truly, truly a ridiculous 
unique weapon at, in the NHL uh, and will be a ma major help for anyone and, and potentially the type of piece that can put a team over the top, especially if they can structure things so that instead of being, you know, on their top line, Hoffman's able to be, you know, their version of like a Phil Kessel, right? Like if you can find a way to structure things so that Hoffman is just beating up offensively on secondary and third tertiary com competition, uh, then you're really cooking with oil as a team. Uh, I found this VanCast therapeutic. Uh, for myself personally, I don't know about the listeners. I don't want to speak for them, but was it you know, when no you were, drilling? No, when you were in. Well, that was a nice change too. Yeah. <laughs> are the walls are the walls still standing? Uh, I don't no, know, man. When you were in Edmonton, you know, you brought us the sounds of the game. You wrote about it. You talked about it here on the podcast. And in this episode alone, we got you describing Nate Schmidt's sound for calling the puck, calling for the puck, right? Mm-hmm. Then we got you differentiating between Dadonov and Dadonov. Right. And then you dro dropped a Slater Cuckoo. So I, 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 found it, I found it very fulfilling. There were lots of noises, lots of noises oh and sounds on this pod. Hey, as we wrap things up, I just want to... I have this vision now of Nate Schmidt calling for a pass from Cuckoo and being like, whoop, Cuckoo! <laughs> like Bob and Doug McKenzie. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just want to share. I want to share this. Uh, I, Tyler reached out on Instagram uh, Monday at seven twenty p.m. and he wrote me a note and it said, "I will literally sign up for the Athletic now if you guys get an emergency van cast up." So this is like within the hour after the Nate Schmidt trade has come mm -hmm. down. We were set to record nine a.m. Tuesday, so I didn't respond to him. I knew that we were doing we weren't going to do an emergency one on Monday night. You were just getting home from your weekend at uh, Pemberton, so I knew we were going Tuesday morning. So I went back on him on Wednesday, and I said, "Got a pretty solid hour long show up yesterday," to which he quickly responded, "You did, deals a deal." And then he sent me a screen grab of Harm's article, Canucks free agent target, six available UFAs Vancouver should consider. And he said, sending proof. So Tyler nice. is a true VIP now. And we thank him and everybody else for their support. That's awesome. Thanks, Tyler. And, uh, we, you know, we, we appreciate it. Next time, make sure to subscribe to one of my articles so I get credit, though. <laughs> <laughs> Selfish Prancer <laughs> dropping bombs. Hey, check out our comment section for each podcast episode of the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to VanCast on Apple. And if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, like Tyler wasn't last week, subscribe now and save. Go to theathletic.com slash VanCast. You can receive an all-access subscription for just a buck twenty-five Canadian a month. Can't beat that. All right, uh, let's see what free agency brings. So we'll be back to do this again at some point next week. And uh, we'll have to get creative. Uh, no games and free agency slowing down. But, uh, hey, we busted through uh, a pandemic four months there without hockey. So uh, I'm sure we'll get the job done. We'll continue to deliver the VanCast for you here at The Athletic and theathletic.com. <laughs>